So we are continuing through the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to jump right in to the text right at verse 11. So go ahead and look at your Bibles. The questions are on the screen. They'll, they'll come up throughout the sermon, so you can uh, note back to them. But let's go ahead and look at the text starting in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, and as they, went they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. Giving him thanks. Sorry. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And this is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear it and to see it as holy and inspired and inerrant for his glory and for our joy. Amen. In this short story, in the Gospel of Luke, is shows us the, the scarcest virtue in the human race. It shows us the, the rarest virtue in the human race, and that is gratitude and thanksgiving and thankfulness. The miracle of healing and the cleansing of leprosy from the ten is, is a very important part of the story. It's very important here, but, but the focus is directly upon, at the end of the passage, upon the gratitude and the thankfulness of only one, not the ten. And, and it's a thankfulness and gratitude that is directed somewhere, that is directed on someone, and that is God and Jesus and Jesus also reveals to us that this gratitude and this thankfulness is what comes through faith. It's what comes through faith. Thankfulness and ingratitude is a plague upon the human race. Here's an example. And I think most of us can understand this this morning. You, you, you do not have to teach children to want things. They just want them. I mean, even our little boys, they want, they're things that they want. And it would be inappropriate for me to explain to you what they want a lot of times. But they, when they want it, they tell you they want it. You don't have to teach children to demand what they want. You don't have to teach children to, to be ungrateful, to get angry. You don't have to teach them to be a brat. All of that comes naturally. They're born with it. All of it comes naturally. 
the, the, the hard thing for parents is actually teaching your children. You have to teach them and instruct them over and over. That's right, Calvin. I'm talking to you, buddy. He's looking at me. Over and over and over. You have to teach them thankfulness. You have to teach them thank you and please and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir. And then the real hard thing is for them to actually mean it. It's to actually mean it. This is a human problem. It's not just a, ch- a children problem, though. It's a, it's a human problem because our children, they got it from somewhere. Our, our culture is in the condition that it is in today. I think, namely, you can make it fundamental in so many different ways, but how about the lack of thankfulness? How about the lack of gratitude? I get to go to college. How about the gratitude that I actually get to own a car? How about the gratitude I actually get to sit in air conditioning right now and not melt my face off outside? Gratitude and thankfulness is is missing, but it's not just a kid problem. It's a human problem, and it's an epidemic to the human soul. And this epidemic is flourishing in a stagnant culture. And you can see it every day proudly on display on TV, in the Internet, and it's cresting in these latest generations where there's this onslaught of self-autonomy and my feelings are my God and I demand everyone else to bow down to them. Where do you think that comes from? It's a lack of gratitude. It's a lack of seeing yourself as God, which is a lack of gratitude. They picked it up somewhere. But let's get to the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue, it shows us something very revealing about ourselves, and the Bible actually does this. And yes, we see that in this passage this morning, but I want to take you to another text too. Another text we've pointed to a few different times, and that is it shows us the greatest problem in the universe. The greatest problem in uh, the universe is not our mere moral failure against God. That's not the greatest problem in the universe. The greatest problem in the universe is not just the sins that we have committed, but rather in committing those sins, we have shown a failure to honor God as God. We sin because we want to be God. The greatest failure in the universe, the greatest problem in the universe is we fail to honor God as God. Romans 129, 121, 120 and verse 21. I'll read it. I'm getting jumbled here. For his individual attributes, namely his eternal power, talking about God here, and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So, so God has set up this revelation in the world, in creation, that all humanity can look at these things and say, there must be a God and I am not him. And if there is a God, then I must honor him as God because he is God and the things that he has made. So now, because he has given this revelation, they are without excuse. All humanity, all over the world, they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God through general revelation, for though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or 
give thanks to him. Here, there it is. The, the greatest problem in the universe. But they became futile in their mind and their thinking and foolish in their hearts and regards. There's, this is what happens when there's a lack of gratitude toward honoring God, toward God, as God. We become futile in our mind and foolish in our hearts and darkened. So the foolishness and the stupidity we see on display in culture every day now. There it is. In gratitude towards God, the failure to honor him for being God is our greatest problem. And I think that this text is just right on par with that, isn't it? It's right on par with this. In, in the Christian culture, the church, professing Christians, we, we are also not immune to this. The same heart that exists in the rest of the world exists in us. And in many cases, in, in, in many cases, apart from sometimes just the, the, the perfunctory prayers before, we, before we, we eat and we show some level of thanksgiving, most of the time it would be very hard to tell if we were really grateful people or not. If we're really grateful people. Much less recipients of divine healing grace. And this shouldn't be. In fact, it is a contradiction to be a thankless Christian. So the story of the ten lepers here in Luke 17, where ten are healed but only one returns to give thanks and praise to Jesus, is something we should not be surprised by. And we shouldn't be surprised even by the numbers. Here's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see how gospel transforming faith, even as small as a mustard seed, always bears the fruit of thanksgiving and praise to Jesus Christ. Gospel transforming faith even as small as a mustard seed, always bears the fruit of thanksgiving to Jesus Christ. So let's unpack the story for a moment. Let's unpack the story. Jesus and his disciples, they were on their way to Jerusalem. We knew that, Luke. You told us back in chapter 15. He's headed toward Jerusalem, and on the way to Jerusalem, they passed by Samaria, uh, between Samaria and Galilee. You look at the map, that's absolutely true, right? That's how you, would, how you would get there. And when they pass through one of the villages, in, in, chapter, in verse 12, it says that they were met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And so we have to unpack this a little bit because, again, it sets us up for the story, right? So we know Jesus encountered a, a leper back in chapter Five, and this man who was actually describes him as man, a man full of leprosy, he came to Jesus and Jesus touched him. And that was astounding, amazing. Go back and listen to that sermon in chapter 5. But this time, there was a group of them. He wasn't someone alone. There was a, there was a group of them. And, and remember, this, this group, were, they were outcasts. Lepers are outcasts socially, spiritually, and physically. They are outcast and, and rejected because they were unclean. They were unclean. Leprosy is not a flesh-eating disease that causes your body to rot from the inside out as, as they thought it was, but actually what it does is it attacks your immune system to, to the point where uh, you can't feel anything. 
And when you can't feel anything, you touch hot things and you, you grab things too hard and you end up destroying yourself from the outside. And so when we think of someone with leprosy and we see all the bandages and things all over them covered up, it's because they are literally destroying their own bodies and not even knowing it. Destroying themselves and not even knowing it. They can't feel the consequences. And Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, talks about how the leprous person is to wear the torn clothes and, and how they're to let their hair hang from their head hang loose and, and they shall cover themselves up, cover their lips up. And then everywhere they go, they, they all, they're to cry out, unclean, unclean. And they should remain unclean as long as they have the disease. And they shall dwell alone outside the camp as outcasts and as rejects and stuff. Because it's hard to imagine to, that, that that was the humiliation and loneliness that they had to live life by. Not only to exist in such a horrible disease, but to live as outcasts. Outcasts by their own family. But this law is important for us to see because it shows us that the people were to be holy because God is holy. And this, this, sin, this sin representation called leprosy makes the rest of the camp unclean. And all of the little things that they had to wear and how they had to do their hair was to be a warning to everybody to stay away. Imagine having to do that every time you sinned you had to cry out unclean unclean this is a group of dead unclean men coming into your village but they had a mission they had a mission and and there's something there's something here this this kind of life and for the for these lepers would it's just so hard for us to uh, uh, imagine but but we can understand why they were crying out for mercy. We, they, they wanted mercy. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be cleansed. And the parallel here is, although, although we want to have pity on these kind of people, when we see them and want to care for them, and I want to suggest to you, I want to suggest to you that we could, in one sense, admire them. Because they knew their severity. They knew their plight. And they knew their future as a self-inflicted death that is to come. They could see it. They could feel it emotionally as they were cut off from society. So, so no wonder when they saw the master, they, they cried out to the only one who could heal them. And, and their request, listen, their request was if you could heal us. He, they didn't say that. They said, have mercy on us, meaning we know that you can heal us. You are the only one that can do so. And, and this is what I mean by what we can admire here. We can admire, because, admire them because even in the midst of such bad news, and particularly with our own spiritual plight of sin and a sure death and judgment that is to come, we can admire them because they could feel it and see it and they cried out for it. And how so many miss it and they don't see it and they don't feel it and they don't cry out unclean, unclean. 
to have that revealed to us is something to be admired. For that is the grace of God. For that is the grace of, of God. And it's, it's there where the grace of God comes in and shows us our sin and shows us how unclean that we are. It's that beginning grace where that works at itself out. That's kind of the root. That's the roots and the, the seedling, in a sense, of where, of where thanksgiving and gratitude are conceived. It's knowing where we once were that begins thanksgiving. But look at verse 14. Jesus says to them, he doesn't touch them, but actually he, he sends them away. He says, go to the priests. And, and this was, again, according to the law of Moses, Leviticus 14. When, when, when in those rare circumstances, when somebody would, would become healed from leprosy, they would have to go to the priest, show themselves to the priest in this eight-day long process to really determine if they've been healed or not before they can be restored back into the covenant community. They were not allowed back in until the priest said they're clean. And this is why Jesus was sending them there. It was the only priest, only the priest could, could do that. Now, here's the thing. Jesus sent them the way, not healed yet. So, so all ten, at this point, in some measure, they had some faith. They had some belief in a sense that Jesus could heal them. And that's why they were obedient and they left and headed to the priests. And as they went at a distance, every one of them, all ten of them were healed of their leprosy. And let's just stop for a moment. It's hard to read through these passages and just not marvel at Jesus for a moment. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's, his eyes are set to the cross. And yet he looks at this group of ten, this mass group of sorrow, broken flesh, And he gives attention to them. And he gives, he answers their requests for mercy and he heals them. Uh, this is the character of our Savior. Because isn't it the same sight that Jesus sees every day? In a sin-defiled world, a mass group of sorrow, broken flesh and spirit. Not just 10 sinners, not just 10,000 sinners, not just 10 million sinners, but tens of billions of sinners all over the world, diseased in the soul with sin, what he sees. And yet we know that Jesus still condescended into the mess, into the mess, into the mire, and he still saves. He still answers that prayer. Have mercy on me, the Son of God. And when we cry out for mercy, when the sinner cries out for mercy, he doesn't reject. He doesn't turn us away. He doesn't reject us. Again, we're watering the seed of thanksgiving, aren't we? We're watering the seeds of thanksgiving. Verse 15, the story goes, this is where the story kind of goes awry. This is where the story goes right, because, because this is where we would expect everyone to come back 
and just worship Jesus and give him all the glory and the praise for healing them and doing something that no one else could do. And this is where we could simply just preach the power and the authority of Jesus Christ to heal, which is there in the parallel of our own spiritual condition, our great need. That's there. But only one returns. Just one. Only one turned back in, in, in praising God. Literally, in, in the Greek there, he uses this loud voice. The Greek gives us this indication that it's like a megaphone. Like he had a megaphone of praising God. He was so excited and so thankful. And here's the picture of faith. To come to Jesus worshiping, praising, thanking him, because where sin had left him desperate and destroyed, Jesus had made him whole, new, and clean. Hello, prodigal son. Welcome home. What stands out here? Of the ten is the, then the one who returned was a Samaritan. I mean, this is like insult to injury to the Pharisees, to, to Israel, that it was a Samaritan who came back to Jesus and laid himself before him and thanked him. And Jesus calls him a foreigner. I mean, he's like, what? A foreigner came back? But this is the new covenant, isn't it? This is the kingdom of God. That is for everyone, for the Samaritan, for the Jew, for the Gentile. But Jesus asked the, the very provoking question, where are the nine? Where are the nine? And there's, there's some irony here. Because the irony is God's people had taken for granted what God had done. They don't come back to Jesus to give thanks. But it's the one who is outside the covenant who comes back, who recognizes what has happened, what has happened to him, and even greater, the one who had, who had healed him. Even greater, the one who had healed him. You see, where we started off by talking how there was this temporary faith belief that led all ten of them to go to the priests. But it was a faith of the Samaritan a mustard seed-sized faith that moved him to come give his thanksgiving and praise directly to Jesus himself, to the one who only could answer his prayer. And Jesus says that that faith was sufficient in saving him. There's the story. There's the story. So let's take what we've seen here and we've already laid the seeds of thankfulness and let's just talk about thankfulness for a moment. I first want to talk to you about the, the rarity of thankfulness. We've already talked a little bit about it so we already know it's the most rarest thing in all the universe and gratitude as well. But yet isn't it when you think about it, isn't thankfulness and gratitude should be the most common thing? It should be the most common thing we do. Between all of us this morning since we've started, since we started gathering, we have taken thousands and thousands of breaths that we were not owed. But we were given. Each heartbeat, given. Each moment of health and 
consciousness given. All, all gifts from the Lord. And, and, and we haven't even gotten close to digging down to the depths of what that actually can mean. But this is where sin has brought us. Sin has brought us to ingratitude and unthankfulness in so many areas of our lives. And it marks the level of our depravity. The thing, the virtue that should be most common is the rarest. And sure, human beings are thankful on some levels. And we even have days that we mark out for it. But how rarely does it ever roll up to the glory of God? To give him praise. And this story shows us the, that rarity. It shows us the, the math. It shows us the, the math and the rarity of thankfulness. Let me, let me give you a few points of those. Uh, there are more who receive the God's benefits or benefits from the Lord that will ever give him praise. Ten lepers were healed, but only one returned to give praise to Jesus. Even though these benefits were, were, were given to them equally, as God has given us his common graces that he has so generously given, the, the ratio is still true, 10 to 1. And what a sad reality that is, isn't it? Second thing, we, we see that many will pray and ask God for things, for healing, for help, etc., but few are those who return to give thanks. Isn't this the case in so many circumstances of suffering and need? That so many will, and particularly even in our culture, they'll, they'll turn to God and they'll ask for prayer and pray. And please pray for me. Pray for this person. Pray for this and cry out and help. And, and certainly we pray. And when their prayers are answered and their pray and, and are answered, and then their praises and their thankfulness are nowhere to be found toward the Lord. And we may pray, and I hope you do, because we have so much to pray for. But do you frequently pray, praise God? Do you frequently give thanks to God? Yes, we, we've determined. We are a needy people. We have so much to pray for, but... But let's kind of put it on the scale in the comparison of God good, God's goodness and, and God's grace. And I, I guarantee you, every time His grace and His mercy and His kindness and His blessings and His joy and His peace will always outweigh those things. So shouldn't our praises outweigh the things that we need? Praise God. Glorify Christ. Think about those things. Let's get our minds off of ourselves and let's get our minds on Christ. The seed of thankfulness is growing. But what also is sad, but true, is so many are content with ritual and rather than thanksgiving. And I think this is a really important point. We've seen this throughout the Gospel of Luke, particularly in the lives of the Pharisee. Remember, one returned to give thanks, but the other nine, 
they were content to still go show themselves to the priest. They were still content to go show themselves to the priest. So, so think about this. How often in our own hearts can we can just be satisfied with ritual? A ritual to perform our religious actions, to go to church, to take the Lord's Supper, to sing maybe, but, but really miss the points of truly being thankful and praising God for him being God. I mean, really bowing down at his feet and singing with great joy and gratitude and thanks to Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, in our culture, external rituals are easy. They're easy. It's it's easy to be the nine. It's easy to be the nine. But it's the kingdom of God that's internal. And it's where the gospel works out from our hearts that draws out thankfulness and love that directs it directly toward Jesus Christ. How unfortunately rare that this is. And how unfortunately abundant ritual external religion is. And just like the nine, it might have healed them from leprosy, but yet they are still dead in their sin. Lastly, we see that there are more who believe than there are those who praise. So remember, the ten had enough belief to go, but in the nine, their belief or their, their faith was only about the leprosy, wasn't it? And amazing as that was for the healing of them and their leprosy, that, that faith to just go toward the priests was not the kind of faith that brings about salvation. It wasn't the kind of belief or profession that brings about salvation. There are so many who say they believe. There are so many who have faith and even so many who have, who have even me- uh, exercised a measure of a profession of faith. But sadly, it's not the kind of faith that leads to gratitude and thanksgiving and true joy and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Where the joy actually exists and and terminates itself is in the gift, not the giver. And sadly, they may go away healed and content, even happy to, to live life through ritual, but yet not in love. Not gospel-rich, not grace-driven thankfulness and and gratitude. These are the things that are rare. These are the things that are rare. But it is a faith to praise the giver of the gift rather than the gift itself. We should love the giver, not the gift. And, and, And truthfully, these reasons that I've given you is reasons why there was only one why there was only one that came back out of the ten. And, and so from this passage, we see some, some really good things too, and that is the, the characteristics of thankfulness. And the first of those is, is that it's marked by individuality. Individuality, and let me explain what that means. Um, the one who returned, remember, he was a part of this group. Those were his boys. They, they learned to lean on each other and trust one another. They were a band of brothers. 
They were leprosies together, lepers together. They were all excluded. They all had to yell out, unclean. They were a group. And he quit that company alone to follow Jesus, to come after Jesus and to thank him. And what we see here in the individuality is, is sometimes thanksgiving and gratitude is going to leave you by yourself. It's going to leave you by yourself. Because if, if Christ is, if, is who he is and what, he believe, what we believe about him is true, and we, even though we're the only ones that come, then, then we must praise him. Then we must love him despite what the other group does. And we may be the only ones. It's what causes us to leave worldliness. It's what causes us to sometimes, unfortunately, leave family and to leave other cold, callous Christians. Second, we see thankfulness, a character of thankfulness, as a, and, and it is a, there's, a, there's a promptness and there's an expedience to thankfulness too. As, as soon as he was healed, what does it say? What does it say? He began to praise God. He began to praise God, and then he turned back and he went to Jesus. And that, that experience, that promptness is, is a characteristic of thankfulness because we, we do not want to wait on praising God. The, the quicker you can express your gratitude to him, the better. To not forget, to not de delay. The better the day things go, the things that are better for us is to thank him promptly, to magnify God on his day, in the present, right now. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Anybody else want to sing? And Jesus says, don't hide him under a bushel. Don't hide him under a bushel. His mercies are new with each morning. Thankfulness is prompt and expedient, brothers and sisters. Don't let the evil one, crush that seed. Third, see the spirituality of thankfulness. We got a touch of this earlier. Um, he didn't, remember this guy, he didn't continue in the ritual of going to the priest, but he chose to go and worship and give thanks. Thankful hearts will choose that which is greater. That which is greater, they will choose the, what is spiritual, while the carnal will always take the ritual. The carnal will always take the ritual, but the spiritual will always go for the worship. The, the, the thankful by faith will know to choose to love the substance rather than the shadow. You see, the priests making them clean they only pronounced they were clean. That is what is a shadow. They chose the shadow. The nine chose the shadow. But the one chose the substance. They went to the great high priest rather than the lesser priest. The characteristic of thankfulness is to choose what is spiritual. Choose the substance. Choose the greater. 
and that is the worship of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a fourth, and that is the intensity. Look at his intensity. We already kind of talked a little about this. He worshiped and praised loudly. I already did the megaphone, so I'm not going to yell again. But he was a megaphone of God's grace. I mean, he literally didn't care who else heard him. And he bowed himself before Jesus, thanking him and thanking him. And I know that this, is, this kind of excitement can kind of make some of us a little uncomfortable. But it is okay to be excited for what Christ has done. I understand, and Jesus understands, we live, in a, we live in a fallen world, and we're not always going to be happy and jovial. But our praises to God, they are to be intense, even when there is pain and when there is suffering, because we know there is a sweetness in the worship and the thanksgiving of God, because we know His grace is greater. And we know that this isn't it. We think deeply so we can feel deeply and then worship deeply. I'm adding to that little saying there. We think deeply so we can feel deeply and then worship deeply. Last characteristic of humility. You see, of, of, of thankfulness is humility. It got backwards there. You see his posture of worship, right? He, he lays down and despite... Everyone around him, he still lays down to Jesus. He falls down before him. And we know that this is an expression of thankfulness, but, but to him, his expression of thankfulness was not complete until he fell down face before Jesus. It wasn't complete until he was on his face before the Lord. And, and that's a picture of thankfulness, yes. But even more, brothers and sisters, I think this is a lesson of thankfulness. I think this is a, a lesson, lesson of thankfulness because have you ever experienced the blessing and the joy of Jesus standing over you? Have you ever experienced that joy of how Jesus overshadowing you completely because he is your king and because he is your savior? And thankfulness puts us under his merciful lordship. Yeah, it puts us on his face. But is there any other place that we would rather be on our face than underneath Christ? But not only with our posture, but with our words. God has communicated with us with words. And how we express our satisfaction in him even though they may be frail and even though they may be incomplete and although they may be weak we still use our words and he delights in them and he delights in them re re remember if if all you have is that mustard seed faith that puts you out in front of him remember what that does And Jesus said, if my people do not worship me, the very rocks will cry out. Then the very rocks will cry out. We use our words. And, and there's one more thing I want to show you about humility. Is, is that when Jesus asked the question, where are the nine? Notice how he didn't answer the question. 
and, and, and this is why, because thankfulness doesn't let you worry about other but else. You got enough to deal with on your, your own. You have your own things to be thankful for. It keeps us from comparing ourselves with others. It keeps us from comparing ourselves with others. And, and, and then he is satisfied and glorified in, in, in that. And it keeps us from elevating ourselves over others. Someone who elevates themselves over the others are not truly thankful. There are many. But the question we have to ask, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Was, is he worthy to, for us to return to him and to praise him and to lay our lives down before him at his feet? Is he worthy? Is he, is he worthy of our singing? Is he worthy of our praising and thanking him daily? In our Christian minds, we know how to answer that question. We know how to answer that question is yes. And, and I want to be careful when I ask this question, but because it can be interpreted weird in this culture, but, but is it something that we truly feel? Like, does some thanksgiving as an expression, I mean, you, you feel thanksgiving. You don't say it, but you feel it. You know it. And this is the kind of thanksgiving, the kind of glory and satisfaction that the gospel does in our lives and in our hearts. We know how to answer the question, but do we feel it? You see, over and over we've seen in Luke's gospel that the, the Holy Spirit has been showing us and showing me over and over again who Jesus is and then just his worthiness, that he is worthy, that he is worthy of sacrifice, that he is worthy of obedience, that he is worthy of humility, and that he is worthy of repentance, but also he is worthy of our praise and our thanks, that he is worthy of our praise and our thanks. This, this one former leper, he saw that too, and that's why he came back running and worshiping him in, in faith. And, and Jesus said it's that faith that healed him spiritually. So we, we go to Jesus and we worship him, but we don't worship him because of the gifts that he has given us, but rather we worship him for him. We worship him for him. That's the that's the difference, right? That's going back to what we said in Romans 1.21. We worship him and we honor him because we know he is God. And we delight in him. We give him the praise and the glory to him because he has shown us gracious love and grace, grace and truth toward us. And we've seen in the cross the greatest expression of that grace toward us. We don't worship Jesus because of the things he has given us. We worship Jesus because he is infinitely and supremely worthy. 
the gift of, uh, the gift of grace and salvation, the greatest gift of, of all. But what they really should do in, in our hearts is not just be thankful for those particular things, but we're thankful for the one who has given us those things because grace and salvation is only the expression of the character of God. It's who he is. And we, we give him the praise and the glory for who, who he is. We, we don't sing songs about our nice homes. We don't sing songs about our good jobs. We don't sing songs because we have healthy families that God has given us. Although we know all good things come from him. All things, all good things are good gifts that come from him. But rather we sing songs together that are about him that are about his character, that are about his love, that are about his justice, that are about his holiness and his righteousness and his grace toward us. Those are the kind of songs that we sing. We sing those kinds of songs because we know we were just like the helpless lepers. And that this great God would look upon such a mess and would choose us before the foundation of the world and then complete it in Christ to save and to redeem us, even though we may come to him with pitiful faith the size of a mustard seed. I'm not letting up on that issue because I think it ties in well. That mustard seed faith, we love him, we treasure him, we become satisfied in him, so we praise him because of him. And the good news of the gospel is that we get him. That's the good news of the gospel. And again, brothers and sisters, that kind of gratitude is very rare. Because so often that gratitude and good news that people believe the gospel is, is that it's about getting heaven. That it's, again, about getting the gifts of God and not God himself. But Jesus is saying, I'm here. It's me. I'm the gift. And so many think the gospel is only about going to heaven and not hell. And, and yes, that is absolutely true and such a, a great result. But that's so incomplete. And frankly, it's the mindset of the nine. It's the mindset of the nine. The greatness of heaven, listen, the greatness of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth to come is not mansions. It's not re re uh, reunions with family members. It's not the splendor of, of golden roads and, and crystal seas, but it is the Lamb of God who is worthy because he was the one who was slain. He is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and power and glory and blessing. And if we are part of the redeemed, then we will join the angels and sing that glorious song for all eternity. Praise be to Jesus Christ. I need to breathe. And we will sing with the angels eternally. Without Jesus, heaven is only like Hawaii. Great, but you got to come home. But with Jesus there, <laughs> and when the new heavens and the new earth are created and we get to reign with Christ forever, is the seed sprouting yet? <laughs> is the seed of thanksgiving sprouting yet? You see, a restored people, that's us. Those who are in Christ, if you are restored, then we are, by the Spirit of God, a thankful people. 
in, in Ray Ortland's book that he wrote in the gospel, green book and back, he says this line. He says, he taught us that the church in this state of restored and redeemed people, that the church makes visible to the spiritually dead world that restored humanity looks like. That in our visible state, in our redeemed state, in a restored state right now, we are portraying to the world what a restored humanity looks like. And that visible and audible message is the megaphone of our rejoicing and the praising of God. Not because of what he has given us, but because of who he is. Because of who he is and how he, for his own glory, he has restored and redeemed the people. And now here in Statesboro, we are visible, an audible message to the spiritually dead world around us that this is what restored humanity looks like. Because we are always worshiping, we're always praising, we're always singing loudly. That's why I step back from the microphone, I'm testing you. Are you singing loudly? Just sing loudly, even if it's a mustard seed singing. Because of the gloriousness of the King, because of His glory, because of the gloriousness of our Savior. And if we have been cleansed from a disease that is far more terrible than leprosy, brothers and sisters, then we of all people should be the most grateful for all things, especially the gift of Christ. What a message we get to hear this morning in this one little thing. But even greater, we get to visibly, audibly, and even tastefully worship in the Lord's Supper this morning as we contemplate together the incredible cost that Jesus has paid for our sins, for your sin and for my sin, so that we could be forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have oh so given us yourself, your Son, you sent your son to be a ransom for many. Oh, Father, help us to not be the nine where we have be maybe become so good at the ritual and we've become so content with the shadow. And in our hearts this morning, would you show us the substance, the glory of Christ that we may Rejoice in thanksgiving to him and praise him. Let us be a people of thanksgiving, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of humility. Let us enjoy Jesus Christ and be satisfied in him alone. Oh God, let us be that people. For your glory and for our joy. Amen.